Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. You're fired, canned, sacked, dismissed. Get your box and go home. Have a job in software development for long enough and you'll eventually lose it. Whether through acquisition, being downsized, or even being fired, no job is permanent. When this happens, many developers are poorly prepared for a job loss. Recovery from an unexpected job loss can take a lot of time and effort, as well as taking an emotional toll. In general, a job loss isn't going to be a pleasant thing to endure, but there's a lot of things that you can do to at least mitigate some of the damage. In this episode, we'll be talking about some of the things that you can do before your job is going away, after you find out about it, and while you're looking for a new job in order to make the experience a little bit less painful. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, uh, work is better. Um, I've been messing around a little bit with uh, Vue.js on the side, you know, playing with that as a, you know, since I've been doing Knockout anyway, it's kind of a logical transition um, because I don't overly like the the heavy spa stuff as much. I know when I first learned about Vue, my immediate thought was, Will's going to love this. Yeah. I think I told you that when I first learned about it. Yeah, I just don't like the all-in-one stuff, especially yeah. on JavaScript frameworks, because they change so fast. And I'm like, I can't have the whole system <laughs> change like this. Which is so funny, because you also complain about things like Node, where you have to like go out and pull in every little thing that you need. Yeah, well, Node is like a really pathological example of it, because... <laughs> You know, okay, so like, uh, just to give you an example, right? Like, I expect that I go out to my toolbox and I've got a hammer and I've got a saw, and I'm okay with putting those things together and building something. Right. With Node, I go, hey, I want a hammer. Well, first, I need to pull in iron.js. And to get iron.js, I have to have forge.js and crucible.js and ironmine.js. And I also have to, imp- I have to import, um, you know, have you been playing some Factorio lately? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like that. It's like, man, I just want the the thing. I don't. It, it's just like there's a there's a level that I can't quite deal with where it's too much one way or too much the other. Yeah. But I really I, I like the fact that Vue is just you know at least at the base case is just yeah. we're dealing with the UI and binding. But well, like I said, because I I've heard you complain about both sides of of JavaScript when. I learned a little bit about Vue. My instinct was, this is what Will's looking for. Yeah. So it's funny that you mention it because like, I I think I told you back then, you're like, yeah, when I get some time, I'll look into it. So you've got some time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I've also been thinking about taking that data access framework that I built and porting it so that it will work on Azure and .NET Core. And I'm even considering open sourcing it. I think you should. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, Uh, it'll take some rework because it's, uh, it's a little specific in a few spots that I need to, I need to clean up. Well, what you should do is is open source it and then let some of some people come in and help you yeah. do that. Or even let some of the people that we know who are currently looking for a job and have a lot of extra time but have the skills yeah. to, to do that, to show some work that they've done in the open source area. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Do it. The only thing is, is it's a T4 template. And so you drop it into a project. It's not like its own self-contained thing. And mm-hmm. so like maintenance is, is a little weird. So I got to think about it a lot, but I, I really thought about open sourcing this because it's not something I can exactly sell, but it is useful. I, I think you should. I think it would be a really great thing. I think you could also get some help from other people on it. And I, I need to beef up my open source anyways, <laughs> yeah. you know, just for street cred. So yeah. Cause you know, I mean like in programming, you can't kick the crap out of somebody Directly. So you got to do open source to get your street cred. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> All right. <laughs> West Side Beach. <laughs> so what are you doing, West Side? <laughs> so the project that I inherited and spent so much time dealing with the poorly written object-oriented code, um, like really the guy was learning OOP when he was writing it. Well, 
we presented the updates that we'd made, and the upper management for that division, uh, they decided to just scrap the project. Oddly enough, no one on the team was upset by this. It's like one of those sand mandalas that you know monks spend days creating that gets blown away by the wind. Yeah, it was actually kind of peaceful when our boss came over to us about an hour. Well, it was an hour and a half because we went to lunch and then came back. So it was about an hour and a half after the presentation and said, so we met right afterwards and they decided to scrap the project and everyone on the team breathed a sigh of relief. Yeah, it's, you know, and you would normally think, you know, people wouldn't react that way, but it's, the situation is, is the stuff that you know that you don't know is stuff that you never have to know. Yeah. <laughs> about how, you know, weird corner cases and stuff like that's not something you ever worry about on that particular project now. So I get it. On a not so peaceful note, let's go Predators. Uh, we're in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, actually, number one in hockey right now. Awesome. Uh, it's exciting to have a winning team. Though, man, ticket prices have skyrocketed since last season. I was talking to some of my coworkers. We went to a few games together last year. And um, one of the guys said, like, he and his wife went to five games last year. And what they paid for the two of them to go sit in nosebleeds last year would have been the cost for one game this year. Yeah. Because, you know, we went to the Stanley Cup. I mean, we didn't win, but we were there. This year, however, not going to jinx it, but let's go Predators. Um, So my dad moved this past week. He went back up to West Virginia, where he's from, to help take care of my grandmother. Uh, kind of sad to see him move further away, especially this time of year, because uh, it's almost time to start planting a garden. And since I live in an apartment, uh, I would go up and help him plant and work in his garden, and then I would get fresh vegetables from it. Uh, so it was kind of nice. I, I enjoyed that. Uh, I enjoyed the time with him. It was, it was pretty cool. Speaking of that, though, I've got something that might help me out with gardening for IOTs. So I found this on Kickstarter, and it's a product called Urbot, the world's first artificial intelligence indoor garden. Uh, It's an indoor garden using IoT, robotics, and AI to manage the growth of your vegetables. The company produces a line of smart gardening robots that allow you to grow your own food, spices, or herbs at home in any climate. It's basically a miniature greenhouse that is run by robots. And controlled through an app that you can download on your phone. I mean, like, talk about living in the future. This is awesome. Uh, It controls the water, light, nutrients, all that, and allows you to set preferences. It's kind of a cool idea and a step closer to sustained living on something like long space voyages. So, you know, I I may support this Kickstarter just because I really want one of these. This this idea is so awesome. Yeah, and it's just something that needs to be out there, really. Yeah. That said, though, this is a Kickstarter, so I'm not suggesting anyone else support them without doing your research on it. And, you know, sometimes these things don't make it, but I really like this idea. I'm going to be following it, and just I hope they make it. Like, I want them to make it because this is such a really cool idea. Yeah, I like to think of Kickstarter as, as basically gambling. Right, like don't don't send them the rent money, but if it's like, hey, I really want this thing to be there, like that's a vote, right? And I, I know I sent, um, I've participated in Kickstarter for a couple of other projects, some that didn't make it, and some that did. Uh, but like you said, it's not you don't send them the rent money; you send them, oh, hey, you know, I've got a little bit extra, and I want to get something out of this if it produces. Yeah. So who's talking to us this week? Grabbed an email from Chris. Hello, Will and BJ. I want to start off by saying that I really appreciate your podcast. You guys do a great job of making a super approachable podcast that is able to take complex concepts and break them down into something that is understandable for people like me. My question is about code ownership. I'm an intermediate developer with around four years of experience trying to upgrade to a senior lead developer position. At work, we develop mainly with Angular for the front end and .NET Core 2.0 for microservices. I tend to take ownership of problems and technologies that we haven't approached yet. 
The issue is mainly with the microservices that I've created because they are used by multiple teams. I'm interrupted from my sprint work quite often by people asking me my opinion about a change to a service that I created a while ago. I don't necessarily want to be seen as the person to come to about problems with a service just because I originally made it. I have to mention that I feel that these are appropriately written with test-driven development practices along with abstract DI OOP principles. What is a tactful way of letting people from other teams know that I don't necessarily care about every small change that they make to my services? I don't view them as mine, but everyone else seems to. The inclusion on pull requests outside of my sprint and the interruptions from questions take away the time that I should be spending towards my sprint work. I have complete faith in the other team's ability to solve these problems without me, and the resolution can sometimes take an entire day away from me. Thank you guys for doing what you do. So, Chris, this is something that I completely understand because... We use a lot of microservices that we have a team for building them, but also if I, as an applications developer, come across something that I need and they don't have capacity because they're working on something else, then I end up building it. And a lot of developers take pride in what they built, and I'm sure you're very proud of the code that you built and you're, you're happy that people are using it, but some developers take that a little too far and they get upset when people make changes to their code or yeah, they get territorial. Yeah, they, they really do. And so the people that are coming to you about this may have that in mind and are trying to avoid that, even though it's not in your mindset at all. The other thing is when I build a service at work, if someone else needs to use it, or if someone from that enterprise team takes over, they come to me and talk to me about it. Uh, and you know, I walk them through it or they ask questions and stuff. It's a respect thing, but also I understand how it can get annoying. Uh, one of the things that we do is we use asynchronous communication. So they will come and say, hey, when do you have a good time to talk about this? Or when can we talk about this? I've got a question. Unless it's something that's like, hey, this isn't working and right. I need help fixing it. That's That's a different story. But when it's like, I want to do this or that. The big thing here is talk to your fellow developers. Yeah. So you need to express to them that you have confidence in their ability to fix it. Um, one other thing that you do want to make sure you do, actually two other things. Uh, the first of them is to get clarification from management about whether you're supposed to be supporting it or not. They could be telling you one thing and telling them something else. That's very true. And this is, we have a structure where I work for that. Whereas, you know, a lot of places are it, not very structured. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I would do is I would try to set up an official handoff meeting. So like when you're done with a service and some other team is taking it over, go, okay, here's the handoff meeting. I'm going to walk you all through this thing, give you notes, give you all the stuff so that you can go away. Right. And that's a great idea too. Yeah. And that's something that we do with our lunch and learns. Yeah. So when, when someone creates a service, they will speak at that and explain it to everyone so they know how to use it. And then if changes need to be made, it it goes over to the team that is in charge of taking care of services. Right. And you know, it's it's kind of a, it's sort of ceremonial. It's like a coming of age ceremony. Like after that, you were considered an adult. <laughs> this is one of those kind of deals. It's like, here's your microservice. You're now a developer of this microservice. You can make decisions. I'm 100% yeah. serious on this being a yeah, ceremony. Yeah. As as goofy as that is. No, no, I follow you. It, it works. You. So, Chris, thanks so much for listening and for the compliments. Send us another email with your contact information because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like a complete developer water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and LinkedIn. We're also on Path, Instagram, and Tumblr. You can check us out each week on Twitter, Facebook, Periscope, and YouTube Live, uh, where we talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer some listener questions. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. It's that time of the year again. Beej and I are getting ready for Nashville's premier polyglot technology conference. This year, Music City Code has combined with Music City Agile and Music City Data and formed Music City Tech. Have you ever wondered what it's like to record a podcast? Sit in the audience as we host a panel at the conference that will later, through the magic of editing, become an episode. Meet us and the Junior Developer Toolbox crew at our booth and get some really cool Complete Developer swag. 
Music City Tech is a three-day event ranging from May 1st through June 2nd, consisting of simultaneous conferences Music City Code, Music City Agile, and Music City Data, each focused on a particular community of technology professionals held at Vanderbilt University. Speaker selections have been finalized, and sessions can be found at sessions.musiccitytech.com. Beej is one of the speakers this year. Tickets are currently on sale, and you can register at completedeveloper.musiccitytech.com. A job loss is a painful experience, especially if it's unexpected. While there isn't a lot that you can do to completely avoid losing your job, there are a lot of things that you can do to soften the impact. While you may not be expecting to suddenly find yourself unemployed, it's still a good idea to hedge your bets against being unemployed. Uh, Planning in advance can not only help you weather a job loss, but can also give you more peace of mind by reducing your risk. We're going to talk about what a job loss can do when you're not prepared for it. Then we're going to go into what you should do before you take the job, what you should do at the job before you find out you're going to be unemployed, what to do after you find out the job is ending, but you haven't left yet, and then what you should do after the job is over. Starting off... What a job loss can do if you're unprepared? Well, the most obvious thing is it can completely wreck your finances, especially if you don't have money saved up. And this can lead to cascading effects all the way up to bankruptcy. Money is more expensive than face value if you don't have it. And I know this from experience. Um, extensive yeah, well, experience. Well, you, know, you got extensive experience in a real tight timeline. Very, very true. When I went off to medical school, it cost, I think it was like five or eight thousand dollars just to hold my seat. And this is before student loans or anything like that came in. Like I had to front the money. And so I took everything I had in savings. I took and sold a lot of stuff and borrowed some money from my parents to reserve that seat. And then I was in school for several years without being able to work and build that back up. Went through a very rough divorce, went through leaving medical school, not having any prospects and having to find a job just to pay bills and stuff. And so, yeah, it's it can be really rough, especially when you don't have it. And unexpected stuff like tax bills, medical bills and the like can really burn you if you're already pinching pennies. So like you're out of work and you, you don't have substantial savings and you get hit with a large tax bill. I've had tax bills of over 10K hit um, between contract jobs. And mm-hmm. that was rough. And that's even when you know, hey, I'm going back. I'll be back to work in a week or so. When I was going through all of that, I had a kidney stone that I actually just finished paying off the bills a couple of months ago. And it's been, what, three years and some change? Yeah. Like, luckily, I was able to work it out with the hospital to to pay a little bit on it as I could. And then as I got a job, I was paying more and just, you know, bit by bit paid it off. Um, the next thing a job loss can do to you is it can destroy your sense of meaning and control over your own life and start a spiral of depression. The very first time I got downsized, I strongly considered getting out of software development. Um, the same thing happened the next two times. Um, I can remember having a conversation with a neighbor's son who was a plumber, like legitimately looking at, maybe I should just go do that and not be in this this field. Mm-hmm. Um, because job losses, it really, really messes you up. And when you feel like you're at the top of your game and you get downsized, like that really hurts. It's a slap in the face. We tie a lot of our self-worth around what we do for a living. Having that suddenly disappear can have a very surprising effect on well-being, especially if it's never happened. Like it's happened to both of us. Yeah, we've you, been hit enough at this point. It doesn't. Yeah, it's it's not going to phase us. But the first few times, yeah, it you, it does. And people, and the other thing too, especially in this industry, is people job hop or mm-hmm. the jobs. You know, like you're kind of jumping onto moving targets a lot. And so, especially if you're dealing with startups and those kind of things. And so, some of the people around you will also say things like, "We had some family members that." talked to my wife and said, doesn't it bother you that he changes jobs so much? You know, early on in our marriage, because, you know, again, this industry changes a lot. It's not like other industries where you get a job and you stay in it your entire career. Yeah. Or you stay in it for five years, 10 years, whatever. Like you don't, you don't get raises here if you, Mm -hmm. if you stay put. And so it's, it's really 
very difficult. Um, there was a study recently about people that had a sudden drop in wealth and the health consequences. You have to go find that online. Just go look for it. There's probably more than one, but it is profound what that does to people. Next, a sudden job loss can force you to take a job you hate just to put food on the table. Yeah, and I did this uh, when my daughter was younger, and we ha- had you know all the childcare bills, and you know because that's basically a house payment for a small house. And I took the worst job I ever had as a result of that. You know, I got downsized suddenly, wasn't expecting it. It was right before your wedding, and I had to take another job real quick because hey, you know, we're I'm about to go out of town for a week, and I'm just kind of hanging. And that job was awful. Like I didn't vet it well enough and and all that. It was just like, okay, this this will work and I'll be fine. It's well worth being prepared to minimize the risk of this as much as possible. I am in the process now of building up so that I, I am prepared. And we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. And a job loss can ruin vacations, holidays, and future plans, including ones that you've already paid for. I've known a number of people who've gotten laid off right before Christmas or other major holidays. Christmas is a really bad one for some reason. I mean, like for like the number of people that seem to get laid off then. Mm-hmm. Um, or they were informed of an impending layoff before Christmas, and the layoff actually happens in February. You remember in college? Yeah, when you were in Ireland and you got downsized or you your check bounced. The So I was on a school trip to Northern Ireland and the company that I worked for went out of business. Um, I I think there was some funky financial stuff with the owner, but two paychecks bounced. Yeah. And you're overseas when it happens. Right. And so at the time everybody had told me, Oh, don't, you know, don't transfer a lot of money into cash and, and do that because it's cheaper. You get a better rate using your card. So I didn't have cash. I had my card and suddenly it stopped working. And I'm like, I know I've got money in the bank because, and so it was, it was very stressful. Thankfully, some of the people over there took care of me until my parents could, could help me out and, you know, give me enough money to make it through. But you and I had a trip planned right after that. Yeah. And I paid your airline fare. I remember that. That was, that was a surprise. And yeah, it, it really can ruin things. I mean, you're just getting downsized like two weeks before your wedding. Like that puts so much stress on and, you know, it, put a lot of stress on the on what would have been an otherwise good road trip. You know, I probably would have had a whole lot more fun at your wedding if I hadn't had that two weeks of freaking out beforehand. Yeah. Next, we're going to talk about what you need to do before you take a job to help mitigate what happens if and when you lose it. Yeah. And this is part of that whole begin with the end in mind. So first off, find out about the company's financials. Good, experienced developers do this. Not just developers. Just people with experience in the job force do this. Either you ask or you find out some other way. You can take a job at a company that seems like a perfect fit only to find out that the job suddenly disappears as half the office is laid off. Yeah, and that's happened to me several times, and I check in advance now. In fact, you were there one of the times that it happened because we were at a Microsoft thing, and I got a call from work to come back to the office. Yeah, and we had ridden together, so like I had to drive you back to the office and then help you carry your stuff out because you got laid off. Yeah, and I mean, the rest of the office did too. I think there was yeah. like eight people or something, and there were only 12 people in that office. If it's a government job, find out what the policies are around layoffs and job stability because they're going to be different at different levels of government. Federal is going to be different than state level. State's going to be different than city level and, and things like that. Yeah. And plus, it also, I guess, depends on who you're working for. Like, if you're working for a department, mm-hmm. that's one thing. If you're working for a politician, it's another thing because that job could go away after the election. That's very true. Um, or if you're working for an appointed position. Right. So, like, this happened to my brother in law where his job was working for an appointed position. And so, when the next election cycle happened, that person's position got replaced and their entire staff got replaced. Yep. So he was out of a job. Next, before you take the job, budget to save money towards an emergency fund from the start. If you can do this. Now, this is what I was talking about where I am just now getting to do this. I've been paying debts off left and right this year. It's just like, this happens to be the year that like I'm able to get them paid off. Uh, But uh, this really is the most critical piece of advice that we can give. Try not to live hand to mouth if you can help it. 
for any longer than you have to. Because you did it for a while. I did. And I had to, to get the things paid off. And now I am starting to be able to save up to have a buffer, you know, and then I'll save up to buy a new truck eventually. Yeah. Maybe a new bike. Who knows? One day down the line. (laughs) Yeah. Lofty goals. But you don't do it, you know, before you have the money. And the big thing is um, you're going to want to have savings equivalent to several months of living expenses put somewhere where you can get your hands on it quickly. Right. So Mm -hmm. you don't put it into, you know, your mortgage. Or you don't put it into your down payment on your house, you and you don't put it into stocks or something like that. Yeah, like you, you it's in the bank. Yeah, you, you don't put it on a CD or something. You put it in a savings account that sits there. Yeah, it's not going to earn the interest. Yeah, but that, that's not what it's for. Yeah, it is. It is there for emergencies. Yeah, it's loss prevention, not gain. Right. Think about it like this: um, If losing your job means losing everything, you're going to end up tolerating a lot of stuff that you should never put up with. Um, that's happened to me a couple of times where money's gotten tight, and I've had to stay in jobs that I absolutely despised for a lot longer than I would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Next, when you're starting a job, you want to figure out what things they won't tolerate, so you can meet those expectations, or you can know that this isn't the place for you. Right. If being late is your boss's pet peeve, it's best not to find this out while you're being written up. Right. You want to know this beforehand so you can be early or if, you know. If that's a problem, like you're driving from 45 minutes away through a major city, maybe don't take that job. Mm -hmm. This can often mean being in the office for longer hours, even if you aren't working the entire time. So a lot of places view you as a butt in a seat. Mm-hmm. And so they expect you to be there eight hours a day. How many of us actually write code for eight hours a day? It's hard to do that. Oh, yeah. Like you just mentally can't and you'll make a lot of stupid mistakes. And so what ends up happening is a lot of people end up working like four or five hours a day and there's breaks and there's, you know, reading documentation or, you know, trying to up mm-hmm. your skills or or whatever or designing stuff. But actual like hard coding, you know, it's it's pretty limited. That may mean that you don't get to go home as early as you would if you were just getting paid for the coding time. You got to figure out how to fill that in if if you're in one of those kind of places. Well, one of the things we have is we are expected to, on average, code five hours a day. The rest of the time is meetings or looking stuff up, things like that. The next thing you should do is figure out what job skills you can learn at the job that will help you after it ends. You want to try to avoid jobs that offer no new skills and experience because that means that your next job search will be starting from a worse place because your skills degrade over time and the value of those skills degrades. And, and this is this is sort of a balance because you have to balance, all right, I know something well enough to get the job with the job also provides. And so there's there's a balancing act here. And sometimes in your career, you're going to have jobs that provide less so right. that you can you know, you can maintain your skills um, and and have a job through that time. And then other times you're going to be able to have jobs that provide more. Right. Especially like when you have small children at home, mm-hmm. like you've got to go for stability more than uh, going for stuff where you can learn more. Because, you know, that's not what I did. And that is real stressful. Um, don't, no. don't do that. Right. Um, that said, if you get the impression early on that you're just going to be a code monkey, you need to be keeping your options open. Now, that may mean that you train on the side, but you know that going into the job, you don't find that out two weeks in when they won't pay for you know $40 a month of training. Right. Now, on the other side of this, learning to fix technical debt can be a hugely valuable job skill. So, don't assume that a lot of legacy or technical debt is a good reason to avoid a particular job. I know you pretty much built a career around yes. fixing technical debt. Before you find out you're going to be unemployed, there's a few things that you should do as a regular practice. Number one is network, network, network. Yes, please, for all that is holy, do this before you need to do it. Right. We harp on this, and we will continue to harp on this the entire time that we are podcasting and mentoring and helping people. You do not want to be the person... And, and Will calls it the LinkedIn ninja who disappears until he's looking for a job. This reeks of desperation. Yeah. And it just, it tells you that this person doesn't really care about you as an individual. Mm-hmm. They're just getting a hold of you when they need you. Right. 
it's like you and I, we, we participate in a lot of community activities. Personally, I don't think I go to enough meetup groups. Yeah. Uh, in I don't. Development. And, and like, I understand why you don't, because you got, you have family and other things. I, I have podcast work and I, I like doing trivia and I like, watching the Preds win. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't get out to as much as I really should. Uh, but we also keep in touch with people in the community. And, you know, we hang out with them, not at groups, but personally, we also have friends that are recruiters. And that's another big thing is I know plenty of developers that get angry or frustrated with recruiters when they call them yeah. and they're not looking for a job. And I'm like, this is somebody coming to you with an opportunity that you can make more money. Like uh, even if you're not interested, even if if you don't want the job, yeah, you want to keep that line open, right? Because when you're looking for a job, if you've been nice to them, and I'll go out to lunch with recruiters, or a lot of times they'll send me something. I'm like, I'm not looking. I'm happy where I'm at, but you know, what? I have a friend that is looking for a job. Let me put you in touch with them. Yeah, and then when you're looking for work, and that friend has a job, they're going to remember who helped them. Right. I mean, besides the fact that that's what you should do for friends anyway. But also that recruiter is going to remember, hey, you know, this guy was really nice and, you know, helped me out when I was looking for someone to fill a spot. He's looking. So they're going to go out of their way to help you find one because they, one, they know you're a nice person. They want to stay on your radar. But also we like, we as humans, we like to help people that help us. Right. And so, you know. In other words, be a decent human being. And interact with other people. It's not about what you gain out of it, but just, yeah. you know. So next, something we've already talked about a little bit in the previous point is try to set several months worth of your expenses aside and in the bank. This kind of needs to be a continual thing. And the idea here is, is don't eat into those savings just because you got a job and things are stable in air quotes. You probably are going to want to start with like, you know, two to three months worth of savings. But if you can get back to where you've got a year's worth of expenses back, mm-hmm. that frees you up for more opportunities. So should you get downsized, that's that much more time that you can look. And so you'll be that much better off the next job. Right. Because then you don't have to take a job out of desperation. Right. Don't let a higher paying job convince you to take on more expenses until you've built that slack up. Right. So, you know, you've got, you've saved up for your expenses. You've got your expenses for where you are in life. Now you take on a job that pays more. And you decide, oh, hey, I want to buy a nice new car and take on a car payment. Well, you need to build your expenses up so that if you lose that job, you can keep making that car payment for those months until you find a new job. Right. In other words, don't be dumb just because you got more money coming in. Right. Um, I've seen this trip up a lot of people. And that's why I kind of bring that up is it's it's real easy to do this. We're going to kind of harp on that one because that's a big thing. Next, keep track of your work accomplishments. Find out what something was worth to the company when you did it. You know, here's the thing. It's a lot easier to get that information in the time, like when it happens, because everyone's pumped up. You're excited about it and you can find out what that was worth. It's a bragging rights kind of thing. Like I, I built something that was worth this amount or that brought this gain to the company. Whereas if you're trying to find this out when you're leaving, uh, one, they may not want to tell you, but it's just, it, it shows that you are looking to, you only thought of them for what you could get out of them. Also, you want to keep these accomplishments written down where you can get to them. It, these can help with pay raises as well as job searches. So don't ignore their value. I know I recently had a performance review. We do them annually and my supervisor asked, these are the things I know about that you've done, but I know you. So what else have you done that I haven't heard about? And because I keep track of that, I was able to say, you know, forward her that list and she could put that into my performance review. Yeah. And this also helps um, when you're looking for contract work as well, because when you're making a proposal to a company, you can say, look, I did this at this other place. And I can do the same for you. So pay me, you know, X percentage of this instead of a salary rate. So you can actually bump up your your consulting rate doing this as well. So it's just, this is information you should have and keep it on hand. The next point is to keep your resume up to date. Um, 
And I have a recurring task for this about every three months, I think. Um, I get reminded in Nosby and it's like, go uh, update your res- resume. I didn't do it this last time, but um, it's it's just a, a continual reminder. Uh, there's several reasons for this. Um, the first is that if you periodically update your resume on LinkedIn, it tends to get the attention of recruiters and it'll send them your way, whether you want that or not. It's interesting what you're you're saying that because I'll notice that when I put something in, I'll get contacted by recruiters a lot. And so a lot of times I'll, I'll put something in to keep track of it. I'll hear from them and there's lots of back and forth, but a lot of times I'll get taken out to lunch, stuff like that. Just, you know, because they're, they're looking to create that relationship. Yeah. And it's, it's a touch point really to keep that relationship going. Other thing it does Mm -hmm. though, that's really the more valuable is that it will protect you from having to edit that thing to get it up to date when you're already stressed out. Because you'll forget stuff, you'll misspell stuff. I mean, like you don't, <laughs> yeah. you don't want to be in a negative emotional state and trying to fix your resume before you go broke. Yeah. So one little tip that we'll probably talk more about in a little bit is when you are looking recruiters every week, they do a search for new information. So if you make a slight change, like to the point of just like changing the spacing in something that will cause you to go back up to the top of the list. Right. So you do that on Sunday night, Monday, when they come into the office and do that, you're at the top of their list. Yeah. And another thing that this also does is when you're regularly updating your resume, sometimes your employer will notice. Now, you might think that this is bad and it is bad if you just started doing it and you haven't done it before. Mm-hmm. But if you're on in a regular practice of that, they don't react to it anymore. Right. So you kind of condition them in case you do want to start looking like they're not getting advanced intelligence on that. Next, keep your eye open on the local job market. Will and I are really big proponents of participating in the community. Help your friends find jobs. We talked about when recruiters contact you. If you're not looking, point them to people you know that are looking or that may be interested. Not only is it nice, but the information you get is extremely valuable. So you know what the market is looking for. Right. And what the current pay rate is, right? Like if you're going to ask for a raise at your current job, you're not leaving, but you're going to try to justify a raise. It's a whole lot easier to do that when there's jobs out there and you know what they're worth. Be cultivating references and have them available on LinkedIn. You and I have done this a lot for other people. You don't want to be asking for these when you're out of work. Ask coworkers and supervisors to to write them before you're looking for a job or before you're out of work. Yeah, and do the same for them, right? Um, this will put you ahead of a lot of other people. And what, what ends up happening is, is those people that had a positive review of you will be the ones that the recruiters call to check in. This kind of relates back to participating in the community. The more you participate in the community, the more people you know to write you these reviews. Right. Next, keep your relationships with recruiters warm. And we've kind of really been hitting on this already, but if you're planning on using a recruiter, you really need to already have that relationship developed with them. While they will help you if you call them needing help out of the blue, it's going to work a lot better and a lot faster. If they already know what you're looking for. They know a little bit about you. They know your personality. They're going to be better able to pair you with the right place. For example, the recruiter that I worked with to get the contract position that ended up leading to the job where I'm at now, I had worked with a couple of times before. We'd gone out to lunch a few times, knew really well. When he contacted me about a government job, I was like, I don't really know if that's going to fit my personality. But I trusted him because we'd gotten to know each other. And sure enough, I went in and interviewed and obviously got the job. But, you know, love it. I really fit in very well there. Will's met several of my coworkers. Yeah. And will agree to this that it's just like, this is the right fit for me. Yeah. And, you know, I, I remember calling Lena when the contract work that I had back in 2015 was starting to dry up. And I was like, I want to get a full time regular job and i called her and i mean i had a new job within like two weeks yeah you did 
And I was picky. <laughs> That's true. And finally, keep your skills sharp with regular training and exploration of new ways of doing things. Yeah. And we've said this before, and it's a little controversial, and I think people misunderstood it a little bit, but your job does not have an obligation to train you. Now, they might, and that's smart for them to do that, but you can't count on it. Mm -hmm. They are going to train you on the stuff that they need, but not on the stuff that might be good for your career. And this means a little extra time on the side to keep up with trends and upcoming technology. It can also help insulate you from being downsized because you're bringing valuable improvements into the business that they don't already have a pathway for. I know... I have really great training opportunities where I work and there's a lot to that, but I still keep my own plural site account. Yep. Same here. And part of the reason I pay for my own instead of getting it through work, I could probably swing, you know, getting that paid for through work is I am reluctant to let an employer know what I'm going through mm -hmm. on training material because like I've done stuff, you know, way back in the past, I had a Ruby on rails book, like when Ruby first came out and I was reading it at lunch at the office, right? I was eating at my desk and, and going through that book and just, you know, learning how this stuff worked. And my boss was like, oh, you know, I think I, I knew you were you were heading out when you were reading a book on another programming language. Like, I don't want to give people that kind of information. Right. You know, it's interesting because my executive director, she started off as a programmer and sometimes we'll geek out about stuff. Like we were talking about Python the other day. And I was telling her some of the syntax sugar that, I've learned about it from the group we run. Especially Chang. Yeah. And uh, hey, Chang, what's up, man? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, we know he's listening. <laughs> Chang's cool. She informed me. She's like, oh, did you know that the IT Academy that we have, they, have, they do a class on Python. You should take it. And so I signed up for it. I mean, it, I got put on the waiting list and now I'm in the next class. Nice. But it's just really awesome because we don't do any of that, but... My boss, knowing that I was interested in it, is planning far enough ahead to go, hey, we may be able to use some of the skills that he gains from that. Yeah. So, she's, she is encouraging me. And this is, this, honestly, guys, if you can find a place that does this, latch on. Because it is a great thing to have where they encourage you to learn stuff that may not directly relate to them, but they know you can bring stuff in. Yeah. Now I also worked for one company that sent me to SQL server analysis services training. That was not my jam. I do not ever want to do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I've been through SSRS training and SSRS is okay, but SSAS yeah. is whoa. Like you've got to have a headspace that I do not have. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, um, yeah, I understand that. Next, we're going to talk about what to do after you find out the job is ending, but before it's your last day. So you want to start off applying immediately to jobs and interviewing if possible. Right. And wait as little time as possible on this unless you have a good, good reason for doing otherwise. There's financial consequences for waiting on this. That's part of the reason we tell you to have your resume ready so you can send it right then. Yeah, because while... You may want to go, all right, I've got three months saved up. I can wait a couple of weeks and just slouch off, lounge around and things. <sighs> It'll creep up on you. And the other thing is, is that will that will make you slower. It will. Also, remember, severance packages are basically free money if you can get a job before they run out. Yeah, because I got, I got downsized once um, and I was unemployed for 12 minutes. You were with me that day. I was. I got downsized. And when I cleared the parking deck, <laughs> I called because I had a side project uh -huh. going. And they just bumped me up to 40 hours a week. And so, like, I think I got like three or four weeks worth of severance for nothing. Like, for that 12 minutes, I was unemployed. Right. Like, that's worth doing if you've got all the pieces lined up. Like, this can be actually a way that you end up getting ahead by bad luck. Yeah. And that that happens, especially when you're prepared for it. Yeah. This is why we emphasize being prepared for the bad things. Even if you expect them never to happen, be prepared for them. Now, unfortunately, I have never had a job that gave a severance package. Of course, you know, I'm in my first developer job. Before this, it was hospital jobs and a lot of hourly type work. So I, I've never gotten a severance. Yeah, I have a few times. That's that's it's an interesting concept. Uh, speaking of which, find out about your severance package, if any. If there's not, find out about unemployment options. You know, 
unless you're fired for cause, you're pretty likely to get a severance package because it's a lot cheaper for the employer than the risk that you'll go to an unemployment. Right. And of course, this is you know United States specific, but it's yeah. probably even more true in the European Union. Now, if you were fired for a cause, unemployment may be more difficult to get depending on where you are. Yeah. Of course, you can also debate whether you were actually fired for cause and all that. So a lot of times they'll still give you severance mm-hmm. just because they, they want you out of their hair. Yeah. It's usually easier on them to give you a severance and not have to deal with unemployment. Right. Next, double check your resume and get it up to date. Now, if you've been doing what we've been saying, you've already got it pretty much up to date, at least within the last few months up to date. Um, and that just makes this a lot easier. But you really need to go through it. And like Will said, check for spelling errors, other problems, put your most recent stuff on there. I know. And think about the stuff you want to pull off of there. So also, we have a friend that got laid off, I guess it was probably about a year ago. And I was looking something up and saw him on LinkedIn. So I looked at his page and he had another job, still had the job he got laid off from listed as his current job. Yeah. And that is not where you want to be. Right. Also, by updating your resume when you start a new job, this gets that new job into the habit of you updating your resume on the regular. Also, get down information about the places that you've worked, such as street addresses, phone numbers. This just makes it a lot easier and less frustrating to do before the layoff takes effect. Yeah, I've worked, um, you know, I've gone through like the recruiting agencies a few times and had like these real extensive background screenings where they go, tell me every job you've had since 2000 with the street addresses, the people to contact, what their phone numbers are. Well, that's, you know, which was a whole lot of fun going, yeah, I don't know what his phone number is, but here's the prison he's in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, or, or, you know, here's the cemetery where he's buried when you. Next, well, we've already talked about this a little bit, but get references from your coworkers. And, you know, if you can get them to do this before you leave, but as you're going out, you know, because they may be asking you for the same at some point. Yeah. And it might be real soon if there's layoffs happening because those uh, tend to keep going. Yeah. Also, let your network know that you're looking. If you're allowed to do so before the cutoff. Yeah. And if you aren't allowed, um, then they need to be giving you a severance package to cover you for a while after the job ends. Um, you know, if, they're, if they're going, oh, yeah, you don't get a severance package, but you get till February and then we're cutting you off, then you just you just look on the slide and don't tell them. I mean, I, I've never heard of this happening. Yeah. It can be in some of the contracts. Sometimes I would suggest that that's probably an unconscionable contract provision and that it would be struck down in court, but you don't want to go to court because you're still trying to eat. Even if you aren't allowed, unless there are severe penalties, you really ought to be looking, you know, if it may Well, you can put the word out without putting the word out too. You can go, Oh, what, you know, do they have any jobs over there? Like, I'm just curious, like, what does that environment look like? And ask a whole bunch of questions and somebody Mm -hmm. go, Oh, they're really curious about this. And when they see a job, they'll think of you anyway. That's true. There, there are ways to do it without doing it. Yeah. Um, and like there are subtle things that you can mention at the meetups that you go to on a regular basis that let people know you're looking without saying I'm looking for a job. Yeah. In that way, don't be that guy. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a bad place to be. Uh, next, find out what your options are on insurance. Whew, Cobra. <laughs> yeah. Cobra bites. <laughs> uh, Literally. It does. It just like takes chunks out of your wallet. And I don't mean like little bitty like rat nibbles. It's like Tyrannosaurus Rex chunks out of right. your wallet. Um, insurance after a layoff, uh, especially here in the U.S., can be horrible and destroy your savings. Um, a lot of developers don't have insurance through their work because they change jobs so frequently that it is cheaper to get on like a group plan yeah. outside of work. Like I'm on my wife's insurance through mm-hmm. the school system because she's not subject to layoffs. I mean, like if I had, or she's not as much at least, right. If I had the family insurance through work, that puts me in a bad spot. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of bankruptcies here are caused by medical expenses. So it's a good idea. Actually, it's almost imperative to have a plan in place. 
um, especially if you have a family or if you have some medical condition that could cause you to to have to go into the hospital or to need medical attention. And finally, under this, spend quality time figuring out why your job ended and how to avoid it in the future. Always do a retrospective, going back to Scrum, when something goes horribly wrong. There are probably things that you missed when working that might have warned you about the pending layoffs. Yeah, and I'll give an example, a real quick one that I use when the quality of the toilet paper in the bathroom drops precipitously. Like when it's, you know, when it's nice Charmin one day and then the next day it's like the sandpaper stuff. That's somebody very obviously pinching pennies and there's a reason for that. Now, it might have been just a different person went to get it, right? But it also can be, hey, this company's in trouble. We're cutting all discretionary expenses and they're, you know, they're reducing training and they're not doing all these other things. Like there's a lot of signs that you'll see. Um, offsite meetings is another thing too with, with upper management when they're all gone or there's a bunch of suits in the office. Both of those can mean stuff is coming. Yeah. So uh, where I work, the toilet paper is the, you know, we, well, we're, we got to use taxpayer money appropriately. You know? And as a taxpayer, <laughs> I appreciate that. But, and, and and it's lack of signaling ability to you. <laughs> I'm talking about like in a corporate environment. I know. I just had to bring that up. Yeah. And there's just a lot of little things that you'll see, though, that you get used to going, okay, I know what that means. Yeah. So finally, we're going to quickly go over some things to do your first week after your job ends and onward. So first off, keep a regular schedule. Don't start sleeping in, getting sloppy. This means maintaining your workout regimen, if any. Honestly, you should be having at least something. Uh, don't start eating a lot of junk food if you haven't already been. Right. Um, if you are currently, then maybe you ought to cut that out so that- Yeah, you know, now's a good time. Yeah. And don't watch too much media. Like, yeah. Don't sit and watch TV all day. No, it's one thing if you get laid off and you're like, all right, you know what? I'm going to take a day and just decompress and just Get myself together. Yeah, that's a good idea. It's when this isn't a planned thing, when it becomes a default setting, that it is a problem. Yeah, like if you do it for three weeks. Yeah. Um, and I did lose, you know, I got downsized once, and I think I did that for two or three weeks and tried to do the contracting thing after that. And boy, was it hard to get back on, on that. Oh, yeah. I was having a conversation with one of my coworkers about how f- difficult it is for him when we have to be in the office because he likes to sleep in till you know eight thirty nine o'clock, yeah, <laughs> and just like get up because we work from home. We get up and just roll into his office and and work. I was like, really? I was like, I get up at the same time whether I'm going into the office or I'm staying at home. Yeah, one because no one else does that because we work from home, so they can sleep in and start and work later. And so, because of that, I can get stuff done in the mornings. And I am not a morning person. You know this. Oh, yeah. And I get up early for that. And because it's so much easier, if I get up at 6 o'clock every morning, then the two days that I have to go in this week and get up at 6 o'clock, I'm already used to that. Yeah, it's nothing special. Yeah. In fact, you get extra free time because you're going in on the bus. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It does change things. You got it. You should also keep track of where you applied and keep looking. Um, don't just assume that you're going to get something out of the first few jobs you've applied to. You keep that stuff going and and keep on the recruiters if you're working with oh, any. Yeah, I know plenty of people who have like the first few days that they're looking, they do a lot of work and they really put a bunch of effort into it. And it's like they just kind of like peter out and just. They're like, well, I'm done now. Yep. It's like they, they put a lot of energy into it and then that's that's it. And it's, you need to put that energy and maintain that. Which may mean doing less at a time, but continually doing it. Exactly. That's what I was getting at. Also, if you're working with multiple recruiters, you may have a recruiter. And I've had this happen when I was looking where a recruiter contacted me, gave me a job description. Because what they do is they'll give you, they'll give you the information about the job and the job, the information about you without giving specifics. Yeah. Um, And then if you're both, interested then they pair you up and so they gave me the information like this sounds really familiar so i contacted the recruiter back and i said hey is this for this company and because i've already been submitted there right that's one thing you don't want you do not want to be submitted twice to the same company 
Right. Because then you look kind of desperate and the company will skip you because they're, they don't want to be adjudicating a dispute between recruiters. Right. Next, make sure you get your severance package, if any, and that your insurance stuff is in order like it should be. So previously we talked about making sure that you have a severance package or finding out if you do and finding out what your insurance is. But this is, you know what you're supposed to get, making sure you actually get it and following up about that because a lot of people will go, oh, well, they didn't send it to me, but I'm all right and go on. No, you need to get that. Yeah. And the other thing too, is a lot of companies don't like, especially small companies, like it's really emotional for them to fire somebody. And so the HR person may not get around to it unless you stay on them Mm -hmm. because they don't want to deal with it any more than they have to. And they're just, you know, it can tangle them up too. So just like get that, get it done. Well, the thing is if they do screw up on this, it can hurt you financially before you find out. Yeah. And just don't make the assumption they got it right. Follow up with them, make sure they get it right. Now, one thing you can do during this time that is productive, but not towards getting a new job is take care of things like doctor's appointments, other things that would burn your time off uh, when you're on the job. Since you're not working, you might as well get these things sorted out between interviews or between submitting your resume to places uh, so long as you can afford them. Yeah. So you can't like go in and have cosmetic surgery. (laughs) Um, Don't do that. But it's like, hey, look, if I have a checkup that's scheduled for three weeks from now and I just got laid off, the first thing I'm going to do is is call my doctor's office and go, hey, can I do that checkup here in like three or four days? And if they can do that, that's awesome. Yeah. The other thing is this gets you out of the house. And it also keeps you from having to do them the first week of the new job. Yeah. And that's a rough thing to do is like switch jobs and then be there like two days and then you're going on a trip. That's what happened around your wedding. Yeah. And man, that that didn't, that was not pleasant to deal with. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, I'm just starting, but oh, I'm going to be gone the first week. Like, Yeah. Now do try to avoid any large expenses like coming to my wedding. <laughs> No, I was coming. <laughs> no, it was it was fun. We were down in New Orleans. It was it was a good time. Uh, the The wedding was awesome. The marriage, not so much. Yeah. Well, there you go. Finally, work on learning new skills to help you with your job prospects. Don't just sit around and you know you've submitted your resumes and play video games or watch TV while you're waiting. Do training. You're going to have a lot of dead time while you're unemployed. Use it to get ahead of the people who are having to work. Yeah, because they're getting behind because they're, they're, they're dealing with the old tech. You can, do, you can learn the new stuff and be getting up on it. And then when you go into an interview, that puts you ahead. This also gives you a sense of self-direction while things aren't good. And it keeps you in that pattern of getting in front of the computer and working. It's like you were talking about when you took a few weeks off and then got back into consulting, it was hard to get back into that habit and pattern. Well, this keeps those habits going. Or this winter when I had like what, 11 or 12 days off and didn't use them well. I I know because like- It took us till March. Yeah, we didn't record and we were just, we were off and we need to- Not ever do that again. Yeah, like a week off we can deal with. It was like, we had three weeks where we didn't record. Guys, a job loss can be hard to take, but there are a lot of things that you can do to make the experience a little bit easier to bear. And the best part is a lot of this preparation can help make a job loss less likely as it also makes you a much more valuable employee. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I have something I told you early on and I'm telling the audience now. Your freedom is inversely proportional to the consequences of raising your middle finger and walking away. Focus on lowering those consequences as much as possible. While money is a reasonable measurement of this capability, it's not the only one. Like your ability to deal with less is another one. Your ability to pivot and do something different is another one. Your network is another one too. Figure out how to grow your finger fund, as I call it, as much as possible. You'll be surprised at both the power this gives you back as well as what you're capable of as the fear goes away, right? Like you can make more risky decisions or things that seem more risky at work. You can make a little bit more power plays and those kind of things when you know you're going to be okay. You can also do entrepreneurial ventures for the same reason. So always be working on growing that finger fund. That's all I got. 
Football. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.